I want to introduce you to someone. This is kind of hovering. Um, this is a, uh, a woman of God who has supported me and encouraged me for the 16 years I've known her. She is anointed. She carries word. She carries a baby, literally. <laughs> um, and uh, we were chatting and um, the, some of the stuff she's got to bring this morning, it, it just amazes me. And uh, I just want to honour her and thank her and uh, don't make her cry. <laughs> um, so I'd like to introduce you to my lovely wife, Ruth. Do you want me to come back? Oh, you can come. I thought you were going to say something. Oh, to address the elephant in the room. That is me. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm... What, 38 and a half weeks pregnant. And, um, but it's all right. I don't want anyone to panic. Peter's just brought us a word about buckets. So keep that, keep your buckets. But I've noticed, it's all right, there's a third-year student midwife. There's a pediatric nurse practitioner. I don't think Linda Hackney's here. She's a scrub nurse. And there is somewhere in the building a consultant geriatrician. I'm not quite sure what he's going to do. He can make some tea. Um, So if anything happens... We're all right, so I don't want anyone to, to panic. We're, we're good for a bit. Okay. Cool. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a little bit different, but I'm excited. Um, let's turn to Romans 3. Let's get stuck in. Romans 3, verse 21. We'll start at. Uh, I'm in the NIV. It says, but now, apart from the law, law, the righteousness of God has not. Sorry, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires work? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. Do we then nullify the law by his faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Um, when I was uh, when I was thinking about this word, I did a quick Google on the definition of grace, um, and I found this on a, a Bible study website, and I quite liked it, so I thought I'd read it. The word grace in biblical parlance, can, like forgiveness, repentance, regeneration, and salvation, mean something as broad as describing the whole of God's activity toward man, 
or as narrow as describing one segment of that activity. An accurate common definition describes grace as the unmerited favor of God towards man. I love that. It's not either or. We get both. We get this broad description of his grace. We get this broad uh, grace being the whole of his activity. But it's also narrowed down into each thing he does for us. Every act he pours upon, every act of love he pours upon us, he does it through his grace, he does it through his love. We are only here today because of his grace. Nothing I did or can do or can ever do can bring me to this place. It is by his grace that I am saved. Praise God. He made the decision. He reached out to me, and when I experienced his grace, I couldn't help but respond. Many of us uh, have our own experiences of the first time we experienced his grace. We have our own stories. Uh, For me, it was nearly 30 years ago. I was seven years old. I was in my church and just had an overwhelming sense of how much he loved me and how much it didn't matter what I did. He loved me. But, you know, grace isn't just about being saved. It is the very nature of who God is and the way in which he enables his people to be all that we can be. It is a daily experience. So, does this mean that I can keep on sinning and say, oh, it's fine, it's okay, there's grace, can I keep doing things that I shouldn't be doing or that I know are wrong? Well, Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? We move on. We accept his grace and we move on into the new things he has for us. We turn away from We die to sin and we, and we move into the new things that he has for us. And our first point this morning is that grace is the great enabler. It is his grace that enables me to be all I can be, not my work. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 This is from the King James says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I laboured more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You know, we can work on things, we we can do things to learn more about God, we can go to Bible colleges, we can read the word, we can go you know, to TTEs and we can do all these things. But that, that's not what enables me to be who God calls me to be. Training and, and learning and experiencing stuff is amazing. And I, you know, I'm not saying don't do that. Get stuck into the word, feed yourself daily. But it's his grace that enables me. I need to partner with him. I, you know, as I work, I'm partnering, partnering with him. It's his grace that enables me to move into my anointing and pursue my calling, not my qualifications. Yeah, this is how the early church got things done. Sarah was talking about the early church last week. They didn't go through a training school. You know, when those thousands of people were saved at Pentecost, they didn't suddenly set up a Bible school. And uh, make everyone go on a course. 
It says in Acts 4, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. It was at power in all of them. No matter whether they, no matter whether they became uh, saved that day or whether they'd been walking with Jesus for years. His power was at work with them all. We have the potential to change the world inside of us today. Grace is like the fuel waiting to ignite. Um, but you know, grace is like that barrel full of petrol, not gasoline, full of petrol, just sat there. It sat there waiting. And when that electric current from the battery goes, bang, it goes. It explodes. You saw the results of it. That's what grace is like in our lives. That's what grace wants to do in our lives. It's that powerful. We have to expect that when people experience the grace of God in their lives, that they will move in power. Um, I've had the privilege over the last couple of weeks, I've been working with a, I've spoken about them before, a charity in Manchester called the Message Trust. Um, And they do lots of amazing stuff. They do schools work, they do... um, outreach into poor areas. But one of the things they do as well is prisons work. They send people into, into prisons. And uh, there was a story I heard recently about this guy who got saved in prison. Um, he got saved. He was completely transformed. He, he saw the love of God on people. He saw the grace after all the stuff that he'd done, after the way he messed up. And uh, he went and preached to loads of his the other inmates, and hundreds of them received God. He didn't have loads of training. He just experienced the grace of God in that moment and said, I need to tell people about this. I need to see them transformed. You know, his grace is there for whatever we need it for today. It's not like a Black Friday sale. Now, I say that because, I don't know about you, but this week I've been had a barrage of emails from various people I've bought things from at any point in time. And uh, some of it's been quite tempting. I haven't spent anything, actually. but um, Some of it's been quite tempting. But the other day, I received an email from airport parking. <laughs> now, when I need airport parking, it's brilliant. But at no point in the last week have I thought, do you know what, I might buy some just in case. The fact that it's suddenly 35% cheaper because it's Black Friday makes no difference to me. It's completely useless. It's, it's, I, I can't do anything with that. I'm not going to park my car at Manchester Airport just for fun. <laughs> but his grace is there for whatever we need it for today. You know, maybe today his grace, you need his grace to go and pray for the sick. Maybe God's calling you to that. Maybe he's calling you to talk to your neighbour and you need his grace for that. Maybe it's something less spiritual or seemingly less spiritual. Maybe you just need his grace to stay calm at home. Maybe there's a situation at your work that you need his grace for. You know, if that was talking about the small things, maybe you need his grace for some some things that you think are small. Maybe you just need his grace just to help you get up tomorrow morning. 
His grace is there for whatever we need it for today. You know, we talk, we talk a lot about being time to step up, don't we? We hear, we hear people say, oh, it's time to step up, whether it will work or whether it's in church context. But we need to realize it's time to step into his grace. You know, we don't get to judge what success is. Because we judge it by our own standards. If we pray for someone and they're not healed instantly, we think we failed. But if we do it in his grace, and if we do it relying on him, then when we pray for someone, we know that we've done what God's called us to. And who knows what God's going to do in that person's life? Because you stepped out in his grace. Grace says yes. Our response to grace should be yes. Completely and wholly yes. But you know, sometimes it takes a breaking of ourselves. Sometimes it's a breaking of our pride, our opinions, our hopes, and dreams. But when God, bre- God breaks these things, he does it with incredible love. And his grace is so amazing that we become beautifully transformed. Ooh. Better not get the pages mixed up. We should have done them pink and blue. Okay. Um, I've been really excited and challenged by the messages that have been preached over the last three months. There's been an incredibly strong prophetic thread running through them all. And I would strongly encourage you, whether you've heard all of them already or none of them, to make some time uh, and immerse yourself in what's been brought because it's been incredibly significant. And what has been knitted together um, Nathan's, well, it's not Nathan's word, but that Zoom de Babdo, tick, got it in. Um, Zoom de Babdo, this crashing together, this extreme knitting, which I find hilarious. I come from a family of knitters. My mum knits, my grandma knits, the amount of stuff that has come back for the baby that's been knitted. And that, that picture of extreme crashing of knitting is brilliant. But this word that's been knitted together by these people is so powerful. And so there's so many layers of revelation. And each person has brought it being comfortable in their own skin. They've worn their own clothes, like Jeanette said the other week. They've worn their own clothes and they brought it with their own characteristic colouring and with such anointing and clarity. And God spoke to me a few weeks ago about freshness in faithfulness. Nathan spoke about the Jonah journey back in September. And he described Jonah's descent downwards into the depths rather than along a visible linear path. And we may not be seeming or appearing to make a visible, tangible, linear journey. But actually the treasure that we're unearthing is as we take a journey down into the depths of ourselves. And I believe as we journey in this way as individuals and as a family, it will bring freshness into our lives, taking us to new heights of anointing in areas where we have served and ministered faithfully for years. And I want to take us back to that Jonah journey for a few moments this morning. That word that Nathan delivered has been incredibly powerful for me on a daily basis and has brought me into some really awesome, deep revelation over that time. Um, I'm going to see if I can get through this bit. <laughs> we believe that it's no coincidence that we have this opportunity to preach today. You're going to have to read this. I can't do it. Um, it's been a seven-year journey to expand our family. And Nathan explained the dual meaning of the word used in the New International Version, where it describes Jonah being inside the whale. It has two meanings, belly of hell and womb. 
I can do it without crying. <laughs> the experience of miscarriage and infertility over these seven years has broken me, shredded me, robbed me of the enjoyment of things I loved, brought me into depression and anxiety. It has strained my marriage and my friendships. It silenced my ministry, made me feel numb and deceived me with lies about my ability and capacity. But the King of Kings has been singing over us this whole time. And what I've never given up on is worship. I've never given up on that worship connection. And it's in those times that I have felt strength when I've been most broken. And so I would encourage you to always sing, to always worship, because that's where I felt safe. Maybe it's my musical training, whatever it is. But it's in that worship connection that I've, I've been upheld, that I found hope. There are lyrics in songs that I can't actually get through without sobbing because they, are, they have been the air that I've breathed. So always, always, if you can do nothing else, find time to find that worship connection. And what I want to share this morning is what I've learned through that Jonah journey, or some of what I've learned. So I think it's really going to be significant if we can grasp it. It's going to be really significant for us as individuals and as a family in this season. So Nathan said these words. He said, Jonah was going to a place to deliver a message about cultural transformation. It would bring about radical love. It would bring about a change of heart. It would usher in the favor of God. And it would bring change to the people in that place. And that is our heart cry for Huddersfield. That is the crux of the prayers we pray for this town. That is the heavenly vision that we aspire to bring into an earthly reality. We long to see the reality of grace poured out on our friends and families, co-workers and the strangers we have brief encounters with. It's our desire as a unified family to embody the truth we have discovered that there is such good news for everybody, no matter who you are or what you've done, that we were made to be like God and there is a place where you can belong, where you will be loved and where you can believe in a future of freedom and relationship with the Father God. Our second point is that grace is the great unifier. His grace is what enables us to see transformation in ourselves, each other, and the world. A community full of his grace is a community that lacks competition. It is a community that nurtures each other, pulling the gold out of each other, and walking each other through the storms. It is a community that allows God to break us, to shape us, mould and knit together with scars of gold. So back to Jonah. Jonah had three days inside the whale and Jesus had three days inside the tomb. This connection between Jonah's time in the whale and Jesus' time in the grave is no coincidence. And although we know at the end of journey, at the end of the journey, this is my Andy Kind bit, there is good news. I can't do the accent, but there is good news. Although we know that journey gets deposited on the shores of Nineveh and Jesus walks um, with such glory out of the open tomb, they were in that grave. He was in that whale for three days. There was work to be done. 
And there is such significance in our times of darkness that I want to take a few moments to consider that. Nathan said to us that in our times of difficulty, we go deeper into our identities and deeper into God's love. In order to reach greater heights, we need to plumb the depths. At times when we face challenges, when our circumstances are difficult, even excruciating, we get wounded. We may have physical wounds from accidents or medical procedures. Physical damage may be inflicted upon us. And of course, there are emotional wounds, hurts that make us bleed and experiences that cause us pain. Although we are not of this world, we are in it. And therefore, we get to experience life to its fullness, including the rough bits. Life comes at us full force and there is no Christian Kevlar bulletproof vest issued to us upon baptism. There is no Star Trek-like shield or Harry Potter invisibility cloak. We We experience life as fully as anybody else. We feel the pain and the hurt exactly the same. Just because we have Jesus in our hearts, it doesn't mean that we are any safer in that way. We experience the same things as everybody else. There's been a lie circulating for too long that as Christians, we have to put on a brave face, pull ourselves up, dust ourselves down and carry on regardless because we have Jesus in our hearts. That deception brings us nothing but shame and tries to eliminate the need for God's grace. If we turn to Lamentations 3, you can turn it up if you want. It's a well-known scripture. Um, And uh, it was in the Bible before somebody wrote it as a song as well. And uh, so uh, the writer of Lamentations, he's, yeah, he's having a tough time. But um, he says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It does not say, but this I call to mind and therefore I carry on as if nothing has happened. What I call to mind is the greatness and the faithfulness and the love and the grace of Jesus. It doesn't say I ignore what's going on or I disregard what's going on or I have to be or function or look a certain way. What we do is we remember God, remember who he is and what he's done. But these wounds can be events that have happened to us or those around us. And some of the effects can last for days, weeks or months. They change us. They can make us angry, depressed, resentful. They can provoke us to act out or to recoil and retreat. For most of us over time, we heal, changed by what's happened We absorb the experience into our daily lives and we find a new way to carry on. But often things are never the same. Wounds heal over time, but when they do, we're left with scars. Often we do our best to hide or disguise them. Or we may show them off with pride as they came as part of a great accomplishment. Or there's at least a funny story to go with them. We might have scars for moments in life we'd rather forget because it's a bit embarrassing, like going over the handlebars of our bike at age 12 in France, where your your parents don't speak enough French to get a bandage, or you put your hand through a window at school. Are you going to say your bit? No, you're not going to say that. 
he put his arm through her. He'll show you the scars later if you're interested. For some of us, but these scars bring so much shame. But in a kingdom where we are washed clean with the blood of the lamb and are now considered blameless in God's sight, I want to declare that we can have scars without shame. So like many of you, I was moved by Andy Kind's message a number of weeks ago where he spoke about scars that once were outward signs of inward torment. He now saw as beautiful marks of the grace and love of Jesus and the change in his and his family lives because of the revelation they had that they were made to be like God. Jesus was left scarred from his experience in the belly of hell. And these scars became that catalyst, that grace, that bucket of petrol that was a catalyst for others to believe in the resurrected Christ. If you want to turn to John chapter 20 and verse 24. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is after Jesus has been resurrected and he's been seen. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the hands, see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the sword um, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. I can imagine Jesus pulling back his robes, his clothes to show Thomas the scars that he had. Death had been overcome. The sinless son of God who was crucified like a common criminal was now stood in front of Thomas alive. And yet he still bore the scars of the nails and the sword. Death is the ultimate irreversible state. It cannot be undone. No amount of CPR or adrenaline can undo death. Within minutes of oxygen not getting to cells, they decay. Organs and tissues begin to break down very quickly. It cannot be repaired. And yet here is Jesus, alive, walking, talking, breathing in front of the disciples after three days in the grave. It is the ultimate testimony of healing, utterly irrefutable. He was dead and now he is alive. And yet he bore the scars of his own Jonah journey. His journey very literally to the belly of hell to battle for the freedom for the sons and daughters of Almighty God. And he showed these scars to Thomas, and Thomas believed. Yes, we're washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, and we are those who are saved and now holy and blameless in his sight. But our scars, healed and still healing, are a sign to the world of Jesus' grace and power. We are the hope of glory. We are the ultimate testimony that those who are hurt and injured can share in the hope of eternal glory and salvation. We may not choose to publicly display our difficulties for the world to see, but we should be free from any shame. 
And whether we are victims, perpetrators, or subject matter experts in the hurts and challenges of this world, we should not wince with offence when certain words or phrases are mentioned. Instead, our hearts should break with compassion, not our faces blush with embarrassment at the mention of topics that are not deemed dinner table conversation in polite middle class society. We as a church talk a lot about family, marriage, prayer, healing, outreach. But sometimes uncomfortable topics come up and this can be a challenge to us as individuals and corporately. Now, there are many things as a parent, particularly of a verbal, bright seven-year-old, that are now considered fair game as topics of conversation in any given location at a volume that anybody can hear in a 20-meter radius. The recent one has been, mommy, how is the baby going to get out? We have a good answer for that one. Well, yeah, she's pretty clear on what's going on. Um, And these come up at less than desirable moments as parents. There are also topics as a parent that you discuss freely with other parents. And these can be a new level, a new plane of, uh, of, you know, dinner table conversation. In fact, if I have a conversation with my very good four friends here and in the first three minutes, not one of us has mentioned the toilet habits of at least one of our children, I'm quite surprised. It all becomes fair game. These new experiences bring new conversations into our lives. And current experiences and challenges require dialogue with those we love and we trust. It's in these times the equalizing nature of God's grace is needed to allow humility and compassion to minister to each other, protecting our hearts from shame and embarrassment. Jesus is not embarrassed by anything that may be in your past or your present or within your experience of life. Instead, these hurts and wounds are healed by his stripes and made to shine like gold within the glory of his goodness and grace. Trevor Lloyd has talked to us for a while now about something called kintsugi, which is the art of mending pottery with gold. And it's an incredibly beautiful example of how God chooses to mend our brokenness. Cracks and breaks are not hidden with superglue. Instead, vessels are made even more beautiful and those cracks and breaks highlighted by the use of a precious metal, metal, which adds great value and beauty to the vessel. It shows that things get broken, but it doesn't mean that they can no longer serve their destiny. Our scars can be like these ribbons of gold. In allowing the shame to fade as our wounds heal and become scars, there is a moment for us to show the incredible beauty of what God has done in our lives. It's when we weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn that the true power of the Holy Spirit can be revealed, whether it's with each other in here or the people that we meet outside. When we sit in those dark places with each other, in the belly of hell, we are hosting the same power of the Holy Spirit as when we're in here or anywhere else, praying, prophesying, worshipping, declaring, preaching. Some of the most powerful times of comfort and connection between myself and someone else has been when they've just sat and cried with me. Or let me cry and not try to show me the final destination 
of my journey. There is nothing more painful when you're going through something difficult than somebody standing at the finish line going, it's all right, it's going to be fine, look over here. Because you devalue the journey that that person goes through from the position they're in right now until they see that. We all know when we have a situation or a circumstance and a testimony comes of somebody overcoming that, you rejoice with them, but it's hard because you're not there yet. So we need to sit in those dark places with each other and value that moment in that person's journey. We show each other our humanity. We show each other that we bleed and that each moment of the journey is a valuable crack in the vessel. This in turn is how the precious gold is added. It's added to our brokenness and our scars become the marks of his glory and grace. So because we are who we are by his grace, there is no need for competition. The end of that verse I read at the beginning says, where then is boasting? Now it's tempting to compare ourselves based on how we see our lives, our roles in church, how long we've been saved, our knowledge of the Bible, etc. But as I said earlier, whether you were saved 30 years or 30 minutes ago, we are all equal in his sight and we all need his grace. His desire to see us shine like stars is the same for each of us. We're all his favourite and he wants to pour out his abundant grace and gifting on all of us. If I allow grace to determine my view of myself and others, then I I don't compare myself. In fact, the opposite. I love my brother so much that I long to see them prosper in the kingdom of God. Just going to finish quickly with a quick story, a bit of honesty. (laughs) A few years ago, kind of when we were students, a group of us, kind of similar age, me, Marcus, Chris, John, some other guys would uh, would meet together. We'd meet with Trevor and some of the other leaders. We'd uh, we had some training, some leadership training, some various other things, and um, loads of really good stuff sewed into us. And at the time, um, in the group, I was kind of recognised, I guess, as the the most prophetic one. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to be arrogant. That's just that's that's what people said to me that you've you've got a prophetic gifting. And in that group, I was the prophetic one. I was the one in this age group. I was the prophetic one. I, and then one day, a certain Welshman appeared. <laughs> uh, Nathan Corfe, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, um, who turned up. Nathan has an unbelievably incredible gift. He is just a man that I just look at and say, wow, God has been so gracious and giving you so much in that gifting. He carries the word in, in ways that I don't uh, and in the ways that many of us don't. And to top it all off, he brings it with a Welsh accent. <laughs> um, if I'm honest, I struggled. Suddenly, I wasn't the one people were talking to. I wasn't the, the kind of prophet of our age. And I really struggled for ages. And I let it basically diminish my gifting. I, I heard things of, you're not good enough, you can't bring the word like Nathan. And then God led me to a moment where he said, there's grace enough for both of you. There's gifting enough for both of you. 
In fact, I want you to work together. And, uh, and so one Sunday, I think it was a Sunday anyway, Nathan, <laughs> I went to Nathan and I apologized. He didn't know what I was apologizing for. But I said, I'm sorry for comparing us. I'm sorry for ever letting the lie come in that I wasn't good enough. And what happened in that moment was we suddenly started talking. We suddenly started challenging each other. And we suddenly started saying, well, what's God saying to you? What's he pushing you in? What's he encouraging you in? And it's an early stage of the journey, but I believe that my relationship with Nathan is just going to thrive. And in it, our giftings together are going to thrive. And we're going to hear God clearer, and we're going um, to speak life into each other. Because there's no competition. I don't have to be Nathan. Nathan doesn't have to be me. Which means I don't have to try and fake a Welsh accent. <laughs> By God's grace, we are now pushing each other into new things. Ephesians 4 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is given to each of us. It changes us, enables us, and unifies us. It breaks us and molds us to become all that we are called to be. Let's stand. Um, I was going to, we were going to put on a track, but we've run out of, of time, sadly. But um, there's a song that's really been speaking to me about this whole topic. It's by Matt Redman. It's called Gracefully Broken. Um, and I encourage you just to go home, find it on online. It's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, all the usual places. Um, and just spend some time listening to the lyrics and just soaking in that song because God's really spoken to me through that this week. Let's just pray. God, we're so thankful for your grace. God, we're just blown away by it daily. God, that nothing we do, nothing we say, nothing we um, try and accomplish, no attitudes we have, nothing we've done in our past can affect how much you love us. Because your grace did it all. Your grace does it all. Your grace sees change in my life. Your grace sees me become all that I can be in you, God. So God, help us not to strive, but help us to reach for your grace. Help us to pursue your love and your grace daily. And Lord God, right in this moment, whatever people need grace for, whatever situation, whether it's big, whether it's small, Lord God, just bring your grace into it now, God. Just reveal your grace in it, Jesus. Lord, we say yes to your grace. Come and knit us, come and mould us into those beautiful pots with golden scars, Lord God.